Baby, you know I've been an awful good boy Welcome to this week's Into the Wilderness podcast. This is the second last episode of the year. And the last episode before Christmas. Yeah. So we, Merry Christmas to yeah, you. Yeah, we hope everyone has a fantastic Christmas and we hope that Santa is good to everyone. And we have um, an extra special prize on this podcast because it's the run-up to Christmas. Mm-hmm. But first, before we get to that, we must tell you who won the competition from two weeks ago, which was to win a pair of shooting glasses from Smith Optics. They're the interchangeable uh, lens, mil-spec, ballistic ones. The picture was on Facebook and all the spec and all the good stuff there. And Daryl, you have the winner randomly selected from those people it who tagged a friend. Harry Sampson. Actually, it was a picture of uh, uh, sorry. an item below. I don't even know what the competition <laughs> was. Yeah, it was. Uh, the competition was to put a picture of an item that you use while hunting. Or you just need in life. And uh, it was random. I did actually pick it randomly. But incidentally, Harry Sampson put a picture of his Defender on. Oh, did he? <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah. Good man. He would yeah. have got my vote. But there was, there was loads of really good suggestions in within those posts. So, uh, well done, Harry. Uh, get in contact with us. It's very easy to find us. And we will get those out to you. Uh, well, if you can do it very soon after listening to this podcast, which is out actually today. The next, the day that we're the next shipment's going out on Mondays because we've had a number of orders in the last two days. So Then you'll get it for before Christmas. Yeah. So you'll have to listen. Uh, we, well, since Daryl mentions orders, we should uh, give our shop a plug because in the run-up to Christmas now, you are really running down on the number of days that you have the in order twi- to get 20th, your stuff before Christmas. The 20th of this month is the final date for if you want it in time for Christmas. I think the official date by the Royal Mail is the 21st, uh, but I'm not 100% sure how it works in rural locations. Uh, so t- I'm adding a day to be safe. Uh, so if you do order something on the 21st as well, we will ship it out that very day. But to be safe, order on the 20th, by and the 20th. If you want to see all the stuff that we've got, then, as always, just go to the website, thepaceprothers.com, click the shop tab and you'll be able to see all the new t-shirt designs and something which has been incredibly popular which is our enamel uh, into the wilderness hunting camp mug the last five orders have all been from women which is actually quite unusual because you look at our orders throughout the year it's mainly men and it had the same thing happened last year the run-up to christmas uh the two weeks before boyfriends there and husbands. was more uh, women ordering than than men and it, it definitely is girlfriends and wives ordering for their husbands or boyfriends or potentially some of them for themselves but just judging by the the t-shirts it's probably for the the men yeah yeah uh, so yeah, go and give us an order if you haven't already. And for those people who have, thank you very, very much because uh, the the new designs have had an incredible uptake. Yeah, and we're going to be bringing out some other little bits and bobs throughout the year. So just keep an eye on the shop and we'll keep everyone updated as new products are brought out. And hopefully, because the mugs have been that popular, we're hoping to do one or two of the designs that are on the t-shirts on the mugs to kind of expand the range of the mugs. And actually, we Daryl had a great idea for another design the other day, so there might be a very unique design going on the mugs soon too. And he's looking at me rather blankly trying to work out what it was that he came up with, but it was good, I can promise you. He'll remember in a second. Now, before we get to the prize for this podcast, we have another competition for you. We mentioned that we have uh, started and are running the very first UK Hunting Film Festival, which is going to be at the Northern Shooting Show 
next year. Well, it depends when you listen to this podcast. At the moment, it's next year. We're in, sitting in 2017. It's going to be in May 2018. There are going to be tickets up for sale. We are giving some tickets away, and that's what I want to tell you about now. Uh, you will see in the next day or two the potential for winning a pair of tickets to the showing of the film festival on the Friday night at the Northern Shooting Show. So you need to look at our Facebook page, which is uh, Podcast Into the Wilderness, and you will see it on there. And it'll just be a case of um, sharing and, and tagging a friend, and we'll pick someone at random uh, before the end of the year. And uh, if you're not going to be a lucky winner, then there will be tickets for sale, but very limited numbers, so you need to keep an eye out for that. Very, very limited. And uh, I should actually mention, if you are someone who likes to do a bit of filming or are interested in it, maybe you're going to get a camera for Christmas or a new SLR that has the potential to film as on it as well. Many of them do now. Most of them do. Then go and check out the website, thepacebrothers.com, Check, uh, check the film tab and the first thing that comes down is the DNA Film Festival read all about it and it might just inspire you to go and take that camera out and uh, go and make a film uh, we will be doing some, f well not, not films but some, some suggestions over the next two or three months of how to make better films, we're going to be putting that out hopefully in January if uh, we have enough time so that you can get some ideas of uh, what people look for in films and different techniques and styles and we'll give you examples of other people's works that you could yeah. strive People towards. have inspired us. Yeah. There's going to be two categories, uh, amateur and professional uh, so basically if you've been paid for any film work you will be fitting into the professional category and for everyone else there is an amateur category for the uh, for you just so that we can try and keep it fair and give everybody an opportunity but we're super super excited about it it's going to be quite an event quite an evening there's going to be a lot of interesting people there there's going to be a few speeches a lot of great films being shown um, so go and check uh, check in fact there's a whole Facebook page for it the DNA Film Festival yep. and there's lots of info on there so go and have a look at that if you don't know about it already and finally, we get to the competition for this podcast before we start talking about the contents of this podcast. Uh, as we said, it's going to be a big one because it is Christmas. We're giving you the chance to win a Tipton cleaning rod, which is a ball bearing cleaning rod for your rifle uh, that is also plastic coated. It's a Tipton that I use as well. Um, a Hornady beer mug, which is always incredibly popular whenever we give one of these away. It's a plastic beer tumbler, essentially, and everybody seems to want one, uh, along with uh, a vintage Hornady reloading sign. That's another uh, product that everybody wants to enter when we run one of those on the podcast. So yep. all three of those are up for grabs, and it is going to be a simple case of look out for the post, which will be up later today and tag a friend below. If you don't have Facebook and you don't have Instagram and you can't tag us on social media, then just send us an email. Yeah, we have a number of people that send us emails to enter competitions because they don't use social media and we don't discriminate against that. So we still enter you in the ballot. I think we have had one or two people winning from the email. So yes, we have. It's so worthwhile do doing. It. Yeah. So did, you, did you give the email address? Uh, no, I didn't. Okay, it's podcast at paceproductionsuk.com. It's also in the description of the show. Yes. This show is kind of split. Part of this show, I, haven't, I don't know if we've decided where, where it's going to come, but at some point you're going to be hearing uh, from the event that we went to last week, I think it was, uh, with Scott Country International, which was a night vision demo evening over in North Persia. Uh, and it was basically a chance for people to actually get their hands on night vision and thermal equipment and see it being used out in the field, as it were, uh, 
in a field, literally. Yeah, literally. A very, very cold field. Yeah. It was Baltic that night. Uh, and use it before they buy it, essentially. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people attended. A lot of people spent a very long time out in the cold, so they must have enjoyed yeah, must have playing enjoyed. with all the different kit. Uh, so you're going to hear 15 to 20-minute discussion between uh, myself uh, Paul from Scott Country and Jake from the Basque headquarters there, which is actually where the event was held. And we're just going to talk a little bit about kit and its uses and a little bit about the ethics of it as well. We're talking about night vision and thermal. So you're going to hear that, uh, but what we are also... I think, I think that we're going to get that in the second part. In the second, okay. So yeah. first... After, we're going to give you the news, and then I think we'll bring you the, the thermal night. Okay, so it was really cool playing with the stuff. So what they had done is they had bought uh, f not figures. Uh, what's the word? Dummies. Yeah, not dummies. Yeah, like replicas. Replicas. That's the word. Re plastic replicas. Plastic replicas of um, a fox, and they'd filled it with hot water, uh, and so that you could see how the thermal works in the field. And it it was so good. It was it, well. It looked like a, a proper fox out in the field. Yeah, it looked a little bit like the fox might have been on fire because it was so hot. <laughs> but as it cooled <laughs> it down, gave you an idea. as it cooled down, but you could also see the rabbits bouncing around next and to sheep, it, and, and then you could see deer. the sheep, and there was roe deer further back. So you got a really good idea of how all of the technology was working. Uh, but Paul t does talk a little bit. We don't go into massive amounts of technical details because that would just be a little bit boring on a podcast. But he does give you a highlight of what you need to look for, uh, what's just come out, what's the sort of latest technology, and the discussion does talk about how it can be used and implemented. Um, so, yeah, Daryl's decided because he's the man's edit uh, man that edits this show. It's going to be at the end, and right now you're going to hear from us giving you a bit of a news update because we haven't done this for a while. In fact, I think the last time this was done was with my with Daryl and my dad while I was away in Nepal. Yeah. Um, but I haven't done one for a while, and a lot has been happening over the last couple of weeks. So, um, do you want me to kick off, Daryl? Yeah, you can kick off. I've got probably half the amount of you you do the news stories. I was trying to find some funny news stories actually, but there's lacking over the last few months of. I think it's Brexit. Nobody's got yeah, humor no, anymore. Nobody's got any humor. <laughs> Every morning when I listen to the news, it's about the only <laughs> yeah. thing I can hear from. So this is your one-stop news for the countryside. I, I, I wake up with the radio um, in the house. Uh, it automatically comes on um, so that I can start my day off depressed. That's, <laughs> that's what I like to do. Okay, so the first thing is uh, air weapon review in England and Wales. Uh, those people in Scotland and probably most people around the UK will know that we have um, air weapons licensing in Scotland already. Air rifles for anyone that doesn't know what that is. Yes. Uh, so that came in, I'm trying to remember my timeline, it must be last year. It was last year, yeah. yes. Um, so that's already in place in Scotland and we actually said at the time people over the border should be concerned about what's going on here and have an interest in it because if it, if it does go through in Scotland, which it did eventually and now it's in place we were pretty confident that it would eventually happen 100%. in England and Wales. And that's exactly what it seems to be seems to be happening. There is an air weapon review in England, and essentially right now all they're doing is they're asking stakeholders and members of the public, um, you can read on the government website, but they're asking if the controls that they have in place right now are sufficient. And you can email firearmsconsultation at homeoffice.gsi.gov.uk with your evidence and your comments. So uh, do it, especially if you, not much point if you live in Scotland, although maybe you could reflect on what's happened here, but especially if you live in England and Wales, 
take the time to write uh, an email in. And the thing is, pe- people tend not to take an interest until it's one, either too late, or secondly, because it's not their problem right now. So you'll find that when it was coming in, in Scotland, um, there probably should have been a bit more lobbying going on from the, the England and Wales side of things uh, to change things in Scotland, even though they don't live here. Because if you just think it in a logical point of view, if a law is brought in to basically license a, a certain type of weapon in Scotland, bear in mind there is no borders between Scotland and England, so you can walk over the border um, and there's not a physical border. You could buy your air rifle legally out of a, a shop there, and then you're breaking the law when you walk back into Scotland. And of course, Scotland. this was one of the arguments yeah. at the time, wasn't it? Uh, so when you've got a situation like that, it only makes logical sense that England has to come in line with Scotland's licensing so that there isn't this problem of hmm. transporting firearms across the borders. It was pretty much inevitable, I would think. Uh, We have done a couple of podcasts on firearms licensing and air guns. Just go back and search through the history and you'll be able to have a listen to those if you want to hear. Um, I would imagine probably when we get to the Northern Shooting Show, we will try and grab an interview with some of the guys who do the competitions who travel north and south of the border and they'll be able to tell you what it's been like with them because they actually have to apply for a visitor's permit um, to come and do competitions in Scotland with their air guns. They'll know about it more than we do. I'll tell you who did take a lot of interest it was Firearms UK. They did quite a bit with the air rifles um, in Scotland. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they have a lot of information on their Facebook page as well so it's worth checking them out. Uh, you're up, that's... Oh, I am. That's, uh, yeah, that was all I had on that. There's, <laughs> yeah. there's no more information other than the consultations. Uh, well, we're going back to uh, fake farms again because this has been back in the... New- not really actually in the news. It's just made it into social media again because there's uh, an organization called Feedback.org and they made this little mini-series of giving uh, major brands... I think it's the 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 Bull Award or... The yeah, well, for for bull, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for just yeah, talking absolute rubbish. And um, what they did was they got some packaging from it was Tesco in particular, and they went, it was Woodvale Farm, I think it was Woodvale Farm, it began with wood anyway, it was a nice sounding name. They then went into the public, polled the public, what do you think it sounds like? This is all on video. Um, what, what do you think Woodvale Farm sounds like to you? Oh, yeah, luscious, green, English, uh, countryside. English countryside. So they went, okay, we're going to go to Woodvale Farm. So they go to Woodvale Farm, and the Woodvale Farm that they went to doesn't even supply Tesco. It's just this little, tiny little farm in England that has a few pigs and a few chickens. And then they actually went to the proper supplier, which was just this massive super farm with a million chickens inside <coughs> the shed. Um, and that's the point, is that they're still getting away with, with these farms. And some of the products aren't even coming from the UK. Hmm. So it's... You know, I think we actually talked about this the very first time we ever did a news podcast. Yeah, I think we did. It seems to be ringing a bell, and it just shows you that after two years, the story's still there, and nothing's actually changed. <laughs> nothing's changed. Uh, uh, well, yeah, if, I suppose that what that boils down to is know where your food comes from. And yeah. the best way to do that is actually to come buy from your local butcher if you're talking about meat. Yeah, because more than, well, one, if you go to a butcher, they will 100% be able to tell you where well, the meat they should they sh- if they don't then go to a different yeah. <laughs> they, they'll be able to tell you where your meat is coming from and uh, it's probably not Woodvale Farm it's probably a, a farm <laughs> it's probably something far. somewhere quite local to where the I, I was going to say I bet you it's fairly local to to yeah. you and at this time of year we should say that you should 
whether you're a shooter or not, be eating game. Because eat seasonally reduces all kinds of costs, both in money and also environmentally. And right now we're in the middle of the game season. We, we, we talk about that with Scott Ree, I think, talking about eating seasonal food and how it is actually ridiculous that we can buy um, basically exotic foods all year all round. All year round, yeah. But we've cut, become to expect it, yeah. so we want it. Uh, the next thing I have but is... But Brussels sprouts are still crap. Do you know that I just <laughs> I just found out because I spoke to Beth this morning. Are you having Brussels sprouts at dinner? Her folks are coming over for dinner tonight. Are you, she, she, are she you announced having Christmas dinner? <laughs> no, 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 we're not having Christmas dinner tonight, but... She proudly announced that she bought Brussels, Brussels sprouts in the you shop know, and I said, why? I don't like them. You know, the only thing about Brussels sprouts is, one, they absolutely stink to cook. Yeah. Um, and they can only be made good with lots of sauce on top of them. Yeah. So it's actually just a vessel to hold sauce. <laughs> you might as well have a piece of bread. Yeah. A piece I, of bread think, would I be I think better. the best Brussels sprouts I've ever had were covered in cheese. And I just thought to myself, this is ridiculous. Cheese balls. I'm just eating a cheese ball. <laughs> so from cheese balls to uh, <laughs> the Oxford uh, Wildlife Conservation Research Unit and an interview and uh, article recently with a Dr. Amy Dickman. And uh, it wasn't an article promoting trophy hunting, but it was an article that basically laid out the reality of lions and lion killing and lion hunting in Africa. And what she was trying to say is that the one of the biggest conflicts that they have over there and one of the biggest concerns when it comes to lion populations is not trophy hunters. We know that as hunters. And remove all your sort of ethical exceptions behind the individual people wanting to maybe go out and hunt a lion. The biggest issue there is tribal what she calls tribal killers or tribal killings and that is essentially the native people who live in that land wherever that might be killing lions because they eat their families or they eat their livestock and cattle and they are killing she said she's quoted as saying uh numbering dozens of times more lions than is trophy hunted in a year that, but that doesn't surprise me it doesn't surprise me either but that kind of information should be consumed by the general public so they realize actually do you know what the issue here in terms of lion populations is not legal hunting and i can tell you one thing on the whole the deaths of those lions will not be pleasant it'll be snaring spearing stabbing, poisoning yep. stabbing uh, very rarely rifle um no, or not. ak or something like that hmm. Uh, and she was also saying in that article, um, and we talk about this all the time, and not just in Africa, but in this country as well, is that for the wildlife to have a place, they have to have a value to the local community. And this is what she was trying to stress. Without having things in place that give that wildlife a value, they actually have a negative value to these people because they're taking cattle or taking people. And so what do you expect them to do? Ivan, Car kill them. Ivan Carter's talked about it loads yeah. of times. His podcast, he talks about it quite a lot. If you um, want, if uh, if you want to know more about um, just the way things work in Africa, and you want to learn about trophy hunting, go back, find the Ivan Carter podcast, and it will change your change your perception of what's going on there. It will. Um, but that was recent. This is in the last couple of weeks. So it's kind of bringing it into the 
into the forefront again. Um, I'll just go on to the next one, which has nothing to do with Africa, but actually to our river systems. I've got one or two about uh, our river systems, or certainly things to do with um, aquatic species. And this one is to do with insecticide pollution, and it was part of a study done by the Bug Life Charity. Uh, and I do like bugs. Mm, I know. Daryl's a big fan of bees, if you don't know. Bees, ants, <laughs> any kind of bugs. I've collected bugs. I've... Um, to my my parents' horror, I've had multiple tanks in my room of ant colonies and different insects. I've had stick insects, leaf insects. I'm a big fan of insects. I just find them absolutely fascinating. A little unknown fact about my brother and podcast <laughs> colleague was that he was an ant handler in this, a Channel this, 4 this, production. This was my first ever TV production. Thinking about now, that was my was, first ever it? stage in TV. I was about 12 years old. And I had set up a website online with all my ants because I absolutely loved them um, in my tanks. And I, you know, it was just kind of, I guess, it, what you'd regard now as an early day blog of just writing about ants, what I'd learned about them. And Channel 4 had contacted me to supply ants and be the handler of the ants for production down south in, in England. Uh, in a studio and it was for a physics program and what they did it was quite cool actually um, they had about six panes of glass all stacked on top of each other but not touching but they were suspended from a wire so there was a gap between each pane of glass and on each pane you put a number of ants like 50 60 ants on each pane and then when the camera was shooting up they were all running over each other and overlapping and cool. it was trying to explain something to do with physics the same kind of concept uh, I can't remember now I think I've got the Tape. It's probably on DVD. old tape, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, probably on tape uh, or DVD. I, don't, I can't remember. That was probably the crossover. Between old-fashioned VCR and tape. But anyway, I handled the ants. And the thing is, is that they the ants they wanted, um, they wanted some more ferocious ants. So they imported some from Europe. Germany, uh, from I think, Germany it was, yeah, to my house in Scotland. And then I looked after them for a while and then took them down to England. And these were basically wood ants. And they've got massive pincers on them. And you should have seen the cameraman because now and then they'd drop off the pane of glass and go down the shirt and do it all. And uh, I was controlling them by the pane of glass. They don't like mint. Uh, so I had shaving foam, like a barrier around the edge of the glass that you couldn't see on the camera. And that kind of kept them within the, the realms of... So, so there you go. I didn't think we were going to get into that today, but that, that's a bit of <laughs> ba background history yeah. to Daryl. It's amazing where the podcast takes you. Uh, so the reason why we started talking about that is because this charity uh, called Bug Life, um, or Bugs Life, and I don't know, I might not have written that down correctly. Bug Life or Bugs Life? Well, Bugs Life's a film. Bugs Life is a film, so it must be Bug Life charity. Um, had re released... Um, I don't know if it was so much of a report, but certainly they posted about it, about 16 rivers that had been tested in England that had shown chronic or acute levels of... Uh, Pesticides. Yeah, it was pest it's, called, it's part of... I can't pronounce the full name of the particular chemical, but it's neonics. That's the, the short version of the name. In fact, uh, on the Game and Wildlife Conservation Trust website, they actually have a whole... Um, category on it that talk about the effect because it's not just in waterways it's also on uh, insects on land and birds but the reason why that the, the uh, bug life charity brought it up is because it is such a high profile chemical and because it has such a detrimental effect on uh, the aquatic insect life in these rivers and the knock-on effect of that so we've seen statements uh, from some of the fisheries trusts 
down in England basically talking about how the decline in insect populations in the rivers is affecting the fish, which seems fairly obvious yeah, when you think about it because yeah. they need that is what they live on. Uh, it, it's it's a serious issue. Pesticides combined with climate change, I'm not going to say change, but changes, and all the other variables have definitely affected our insects, both in the water and on land. I was just reading something the other day which was talking about the uh, surveys on windscreens. Ah, uh, we talked about that on the yeah, last show. Oh, you did? Yeah. Yeah, the splatter test. The splatter test. Uh, and just, this was unprompted to this, I was speaking to somebody else to, uh, the other day who was just saying, 20 years ago, they remember when their windscreen was, uh, in, a sum in the summer, was just smudged with dead bugs. You don't get it you anymore. You just don't get it anymore. Because uh, when I first, when we we kind of talked about when I first started driving, I remember it was always a real pain scrubbing the bugs off your lights. Mm. They were always really stuck to it. I don't think this year at all I've had to no. wash my car due to bugs. It, interestingly, uh, I was reading something else that was saying that uh, it is quite complicated using that as a gauge and it might not necessarily be a good reflection. But equally... Um, there was uh, some research done in Canada that was looking at some of the big stretches of highways uh, from in Canada and just North America in general, and talking about the billion, the actual fact that you have so many roads on the car, uh, uh, cars on the road, will be contributing somewhat to the decline in insect species because they are killing billions, yeah, billions of billions, bugs yeah. on a daily basis in certain uh, conditions throughout the year. So it's it's something which we've talked about it before. We need to concern ourselves more with not just the animals that we can more easily see and concern ourselves about. Well, the cute ones. Because bugs ones. on the whole are generally not that cute. The last part of um, this post was that the Eden, which is in Cumbria, and the Ithan, which is just north of us here, were completely clean. They didn't have any of this pesticide in it. That's good. So that is good. Uh, it seemed to be the further down south they were, the worse it was. And I guess that's just due to the intensity of agriculture down there. Yeah, will be. Intensity so of agriculture. They're asking for... And good farming practices as well. Yeah, possibly. But they're, they're essentially what they were asking for, the charity, was a ban on this particular toxin. There is already restrictions on it, but they were looking for a ban on it. I guess um, they just have to find a new way. Something else that can treat them. Yeah. Well, that's the issue, isn't it? It's finding new chemicals. Or GM crops. Mm -hmm. Just genetically modify the crop so it's... That's, that's a whole other rabbit hole oh, to go down. Oh, it is a whole other rabbit hole. Now, I was reading a thing the other day, because GM crops, I mean, I remember... Do you remember when we were kind of in school, it was kind of a big thing? Well, it was, it it was, was all over the news. It was just being implemented, really. And I read an article the other day saying how, basically, it kind of just went under the table, and there's actually a massive amount of GM crops around the world now. It's because it no longer became newsworthy, did it? Yeah. Because it was being done everywhere. Well, I think it's because it was kind of a cutting-edge thing, the idea of being able to genetically modify a plant to be more hardy in, in different conditions. Yeah, it scared people. In dry conditions. And now we're talking about going to Mars and have iPhones. And, you know, this was a period of time where not every single person had a, uh, a mobile phone. The yeah. technology's moved so fast that the concept of, of genetically modifying something, people are just like, yeah, whatever, that's old. What's old news that's old news What's bring me new? something new yeah. 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 Uh, I think you can give your next story mine has actually got a little bit to do with uh, climate change as well okay. so, um, so 
people may have seen uh, an article. It wasn't an article. It was actually a picture, uh, and it was claimed at the face of climate change, and it was a polar bear looking very shaggy, quite a thin. Its coat was completely. It's kind of heart wrenching. Yeah, was, it, yeah, it was. It, you could see the polar bear was in trouble, um, and it's now come out that there might not be a hundred percent truth to this picture because they're claiming climate change is doing this. There's no denying that the world's climate is changing and it is affecting wildlife. The point is is that you can be drawn in to something like this, but in the underlying belly of it, it's actually fake news in a way because they, the, the people that took it is called Sea Legacy and they did five expeditions in 2017 with their goal to trigger uh, public and policy support. So... That was their goal, and the Inuit population up there have hit back at them saying that polar bear, they had no proof whatsoever that that was dying due to climate change, and the CEO of Sea Legacy also admitted in a separate interview that they didn't know why it was dying uh, at all, and with further investigation by other scientists, they said on the whole it was probably dying uh, due to old age, disease, starvation. I thought uh, it might have some sort of bone cancer. Yes, yeah, bone cancer. Uh, the numerous other things other than climate change. The other thing in the video, there was no ice. Uh, they were also saying the picture was taken in August in that area where there is no ice. So that also kind of, it was a bit more of a, a fake. A little bit misleading. Misleading in a way. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess the, the story is don't always believe... Uh, a, a video with some soft music behind it uh, of a, a polar bear dying. Though it was is... the polar bear dying? Yes. Yes. The reasons why, actually not very clear. No. <laughs> uh, but what they were saying as well, what was interesting is there's been studies done of polar bears that have looked in very similar conditions um, and they've been with other polar bears and actually six months later they become big and puffy again and sometimes they can they, just they get re- in that state they because regain they, it. they haven't eaten and they just need to find oh, some more more food huh yeah oh, so that. that 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 the polar bear might not actually be dead i don't know so it's not un it's not uncommon it's not or unheard un, of it's not an uncommon thing for that to happen hmm. but there evidently is a problem you just have to look at um in fact some of the blue planet stuff and you saw the walruses struggling to find ice and struggling to find places to have their their young that there obviously is a problem going on mm-hmm. uh but the point is is that don't believe what you read these companies are kind of exploiting this to make money that's uh, essentially what it is that's what it is or or be given money yeah trying to generate more money for their cause uh actually staying in a very similar part of the world uh there is a film uh that's been put out recently by uh in southern ontario it's that's where it's screening right now which is about the importance of seal meat to the inuit culture uh, because there's been a lot of um, seals, the actual trade of seal parts and, and fur has been banned in a lot of places and there's been restrictions in others and this was a film that I don't know exactly who made it but it was made for them by um, and with the Inuit people in it to explain the importance of it to them uh, for just sustaining their way of life and their ability to live in in that climate and in those locations very fatty yeah, well, they were actually, and the, this was the reason for the the story coming to light was that they were serving seal meat jerky at the screenings. Really? Yeah, I would, I would eat seal meat jerky. I would love to see what it tastes like. I imagine, like you say, it's probably very fast. I've uh, when I watched, um, 
I know, completely different kind of program, but I was watching An Idiot Abroad uh, when uh, Carl Pilkington goes and he was with, I think he was with some Inuits and he was eating whale. Mm. And when they were cutting up, they eat it frozen and then you just cut it up and you, little you just, cubes, isn't yeah, little cubes. But you can see how much fat there is inside there. And I, I thought to myself, I, you know what? I don't think I would enjoy it. I really don't. The little, little cube of completely I've frozen seen it. meat is very fatty. Yeah. I'm, I don't think I'd be a fan of it. I suppose you've got to try it to know. Don't you, you do have to try. It, but also, they were serving the bit that had like the it looked like the skin oh, the f- on top, on one, one side, and that, oh, I can't imagine that tastes very if good. If anybody who's listened to this has had whale meat. Mm. Let us know what it's like. Sorry, I'm not making the connection to our listeners in Japan, but we have some Japanese listeners, uh, and we want to. Well, they probably actually. I think Japan does, to be fair, probably eat more whales than. Well, they do. They do. They do kill them. So, yeah. yeah, So, just talking about Japan, we have a number of Japanese listeners that have started listening in the last two or three months. That we've noticed uh, there is, they're in two different places in Japan. And you can't remember how to pronounce them. I can't them. remember how to pronounce them. <laughs> um, so if you are one of our Japanese listeners that listens on a regular basis, please get in contact with us because we'd love to know who you are. Yeah. Because we've done this before with um, someone in South Korea yeah. and we found them. Within yeah, one day, they emailed <laughs> us saying, I am your one listener in South Korea. And if you do happen to eat whale meat in Japan as well, then <laughs> yeah. also let us know what it's yeah. like. Uh, so is, is that the end of your story? Yeah, that was my bear story it was yeah, yeah story. sorry because it was actually my story <laughs> that we got on to, yeah, yeah so we got onto whale oh what i was going to say about uh, on the whale side is that we did do a podcast a very very interesting yes, podcast um that did talk about whale hunting in the faroe islands um with mike day probably almost a year ago so it was i think mike day the island and the whales is the name of the film you can actually download that now you got to pay for it but you can download it on vimeo and i recommend if you like good documentaries Go and pay it and get the film and watch it, The Island and the Whales on Vimeo. Uh, and if you go and listen to the podcast as well, that'll give you a little bit of background on it. But really, really fascinating. I, I, I took two of my friends to the screening in Edinburgh. Mm. Yeah. And, and you they, enjoyed it, even though it was the second watch. It was the people. second time I'd seen it. It was the first time they, they saw it. They, they watched it. They, it was, you know, it's graphic. Mm. Uh, so it is a true reflection of what goes on. But they came out with, a, I would say, a fairly balanced view at the end of it did they yeah i think they they kind of yeah they understood why they did it but they don't necessarily like seeing it yeah and wouldn't want to participate yeah. in themselves which yeah is fair enough so from the sea i'm going to the cheddar gorge which is i just i've heard about the sheep in the cheddar gorge before <laughs> and then i read this article sheep. that realized uh, that made me realize how they got there in the first place i the best that i could read it seems true to me, but maybe someone who lives in that part of the country can tell me. So the story goes that sometime in the 90s, uh, there was some gents gambling, and one guy didn't have enough money to pay his debt, so he said, I'll pay you with my sheep. So he had this these um, soya sheep, which he gave to the guy who he'd lost to, and these sheep were essentially eating the guy's garden, so he thought, no, I can't have them in my garden. So he got rid of the sheep by releasing them into the Cheddar Gorge, and ever since then, there has been a population of 
uh, soy sheep, and actually there's feral goats, but it's not related to the story in the in the gorge. Uh, and the reason why it was in the news is because the National Trust were doing their annual sheep count to see how the population has been changing. So there's currently 107 sheep and 61 goats in the Cheddar Gorge. That's a uh, lot of goats. It is a lot of goats. Uh, and I just want there, there must be someone who listens to the podcast who has either seen them or actually lives in the area. But they're a massive tourist attraction there. And I, what I really want to know is, sheep is that, are a tourist attraction? Yeah, they are, yeah. Is that story true? Did the, did those soya sheep end up in the Cheddar Gorge? Are you the one that gambled debt? them away? We want to know. Yeah. <laughs> so I want, find that person. I want to hear about it. Uh, email us. Contact us somehow. Uh, I guess it's one of my stories yep. now. Uh, on to some other news closer to home. Uh, Mr. Mark Avery, who many of you might know as Chris Packham's chum, or, <laughs> well, he is. <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't sure where you are going with yeah. that, but yeah. Yeah, is, is his chum. He's also the one that started the petition to ban driven grouse shooting uh, that made it to Parliament, and then they decided that he was talking nonsense, and it was... Yeah, resoundingly chucked out, which was Yeah, great. chucked out. Which because it was done on fact and science. Uh, it was, and uh, when you could watch all of this stuff on the Parliament TV, and when he was talking, he was diabolical. He really was. And... He recently has attacked the one of the Merlin groups here, Grampian Merlin Group, uh, for the last two years now, two or three years. They have been packaging up the game meat and doing hampers uh, with vegetables and recipe cards ready to go for Christmas and been giving it to a charity called Homestart, which helped uh, vulnerable families and children in uh, D-side, but they also have charities across the entire country. So I think every region has a Homestart charity. And they've been doing these with great success. The families have been loving them. Apparently the families have been uh, setting up WhatsApp groups and sharing their recipes and their dinners. So Mark Avery decided on his uh, blog uh, that he would attack the Merlin group by basically accusing them of poisoning uh, the families because they're serving a game with the potential of lead in it. And then he put up loads of articles about lead poisoning um, and so on. The art, his blog has actually changed. I th I think it's changed twice He said twice he reworded now. some of He's it. He's definitely reworded it because the first time the blog went up, um, I remember reading, he said what, they would be better off giving money to the charities instead of um, instead of the food. That disappeared off the website after we put up a very long thing saying, well, why doesn't he give them money then or replace their meals if he's unhappy with it? Uh, and then it's changed as well. But anyway, the point is, is that he attacked um, the Merlin Group for doing this. He also attacked the charity for giving the food out. Uh, and unfortunately... This has the potential to get these families their food stopped. Um, if if higher up bosses decide that they don't want this hassle from Mark Avery and his band of merry and men, his band of <laughs> yeah merry men. Uh, the really nice thing to see is that two of the senior coordinators uh, for the charity of that area both responded saying no one had died so far of their families. They're all alive I and think that the no one had died so far was a bit of a tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, it was. It, it was, was a tongue-in-cheek tongue -in thing, comment, yeah. basically saying... Our we're fine. We're and fine. Everyone's, thankful. everyone's very thankful for receiving food, um, and, and for, you know, this is this is a man basically that he, what he did there only proves one thing: that he wants to get shooting shut down. It's got at nothing any to cost. do with the welfare of of animals or people. Because nothing to do with it. He 
is potentially trying to stop just 40 families up this way getting food for Christmas. It's insane. Yeah, and there's no evidence to suggest that his his issue, well, the, the tack that he took was due to the lead in game. Yeah. And there is still zero evidence that that has affected humans in any way. Well, I mean, as, as um, our dad said the other day, um, he was saying, well, so you're saying that Mark Avery says that my granddad would have lived past 94 years old if he hadn't eaten game. Yeah. And our grandmother would be, she's 93 now. So you're telling me that she's going to, she's, her life is going to be shortened because she, yeah. she, eaten. It's there's ridiculous. a lot of people who have been eating a lot of game their whole lives and you know, eventually we're all going to die of something. The, and these people have all lived to very old ages. The other problem he forgot to mention is all of the other things that kill you on this planet. What about all the meat that's pumped with antibiotics and, and other things that you can buy from the shops? What about the health benefits of game? Eating fresh game with very little fat uh, with vegetables. Yeah, He should look at his own damn diet before he starts commenting. Yeah. I, and, and Byron, he's nodding with me, but he is. I'm sorry, but he should look at his own diet. Yeah. So, yeah, just another example of um, a man who keeps on rearing his head, which, and, and sadly, we don't want to give him the time of day, but sadly, for some reason, he gets the time of day from people like the BBC. He was on the BBC only last year, blaming the Grouse Moors for flooding an entire village. Yeah. And sadly, he, none of none of his comments are constructive in any way. No. And I think that this really does prove exactly what his intentions are. Um, so, yeah, any support towards towards that cause, go on the Grampian Merlin book. Uh, we had Merlin group a Facebook huge, page. I think we had 19 or 20,000 uh, like reach with hundreds of co- people comments and likes yeah. when we put up the, the post talking supporting about supporting the work that the group had done. Uh, it's absolutely madness. And at a time where, especially in Scotland, Mark, he's from England, uh, the government is claiming and many other organizations are claiming that more people are eating from food banks than ever before. Uh, there is more families in poverty than ever before. And yet he has the cheek to, to deny them food basically. Yeah. And without coming up with any other solution. And when we questioned him, he never replied back to us. I sent him a message. Um, when we suggested, well, if you're that if you're that concerned of the safety of this particular forty families, why don't you purchase them some nice chicken or turkey from Tesco out of your own pocket? Yeah, and we'll replace the meat. Yeah, but no, to no avail. No. Uh, from that to fish again, fish. And I don't have very much to say on this. And unfortunately, I couldn't find the original source, but I, I did put the information aside when it originally came out, and it was an article that was saying that. Um, the RSPCA were paid last year uh, one million pounds for their RSPCA assured label that goes on uh, a lot of the the salmon that's produced from salmon yes. farms around Scotland. Well, it, they, it, the label goes on not just fish; it goes on it, any product. It goes on lots of products. Uh, but this was meant to be a, a welfare standard. Exactly. Yeah. But this was one million from the fish farming industry. Yeah. So it was specifically talking about that, despite the fact that many of the places that the fish actually come from have up to a twenty-five percent mortality of the fish in them. 
Uh, and there is a whole heap of other issues with fish farms. We've talked a little bit about it before. We also have made a film called The Demise of Loch Marie, which is on YouTube, which I encourage you to look at, which is mainly looking at the issue of sea lice for sea trout. Um, but the issue of salmon farms and the problems that they cause for wild fish stocks and also the welfare of those actual fish themselves, the ones that are being bred to eat, is something we are going to be revisiting very, very soon because it, it is something, it is a topic certainly that is growing in momentum right now. We're seeing it every couple of weeks in the news and I think we're going to see it come to a head sometime at the start of next year. We're going to have the right people on to tell you about it. Um, so yeah, listen out for that sometime in sort of January, February. Am I on to my next yeah. one? Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's not really much to this uh, story. Uh, in the Cairngorms, uh, the, one of the estates there, a man earlier this year uh, shot a buzzard uh, as it came out of the trees during a driven pheasant shoot. Uh, he ended up in court and was charged £500. Uh, the jury uh, c concluded, uh, well, they must have had uh, a wit uh, an expert there saying that at kind of those speeds uh, a pheasant a female pheasant and a buzzard can look very similar coming out the trees uh from understanding a very experienced shooter of 20 years um i don't think i would mistake a buzzard for a pheasant i would like to think i wouldn't uh but secondly the thing i would always say is if you ever are in doubt never take the shot absolutely um so I mean, he's, he fine, he's, he's been punished he's yeah. been punished 500 pounds okay it, I don't. Th I think it would have been much more severe, but it clearly wasn't malicious. I think it was a mistake. I, I, as far I as I think, the it was concerned. never. It was never tried to be. It wasn't covered up. Or yeah. I think it. I, I don't know who reported. It. I couldn't find it. It was actually uh, Raptor Persecution Scotland that did the main article, and I was surprised I couldn't really find that much in the newspapers about it. They normally pick these things mm. up, um, and I don't know who they. They didn't know either who reported it, but I'm assuming it was someone on the shoot. Or one you of the gamekeepers so. that yeah, reported it, so. because otherwise there would be more of a, a deal of it. Because then it would be a cover-up. It would be a cover-up of it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like Daryl said, if you're in any doubt, don't pull the trigger because once you pull the trigger, you can't take it back. Simple no, as you that. can't. Uh, just be sensible. That's yeah. that's and it. Careful. Be careful because it's stuff like that that reflects very badly on everyone. Hmm. Uh, talking. So, sorry. Uh, yeah. And I was going to say it reflects badly on everyone, and also depending on what kind of shoot you're on, has the potential to get that state's licenses revoked. Yeah, yeah, the, the general licenses potentially. Yeah. Potentially. You never know where it would yeah. end up. So it has a lot more of an effect of you just doing it. It could it could end up ruining a few people and livelihoods. Yeah. Um, talking about birds still, uh, the Capicaley numbers have uh, fallen again. Uh, they were. Just to give you, we're going to talk about um, Capicaley and Black Game a lot because we're going to have. I was actually recently with Patrick Laurie, who is the man to speak to about that because he has this most incredible passion for Black Game. So we will undoubtedly talk about Capicaley um, as well as Black Grouse. But just to give you a tiny bit of background behind Capicaley in this country, is that they were extinct here and they were reintroduced uh, in 1937. I think the birds came from Sweden, if I remember rightly. Daryl's nodding. He seems to remember. I remember reading Sweden. So about Sweden, but it also makes sense because they have good. Because numbers. they have plenty. Yeah. Um, by nineteen, by the nineteen seventies, there was more than twenty thousand here. I didn't know the number got that high. And I now, wish there was twenty thousand here. They're amazing birds. Well, now it's just over a thousand. 
And the the reason why this article came to light was basically they were saying that there are a lot of organizations. Uh, I, I mentioned the RSPB, RSPB being among them because they are the biggest, and I can't remember what other organizations have been involved in it, but who have spent a huge amount of money in recent years trying to bring CAPA uh, back and actually have been failing because the numbers are still declining. So a lot of questions need to be asked about the use of this money, and a lot of it is public money, um, to this species, and what are they actually doing, and what could they be doing differently? I, I say bring them more over from Sweden. Well, I, I, th- and, I think and predator control. I think predator control is the issue, and one and of uh, habitat is another. Uh, their habitat, there isn't actually a lot of it around. Yeah, exactly, and and predator monitoring that they've done suggests that. Uh, well, one of the species that really does hammer them is pine martens, and pine marten is a, is a species that is also protected here. So you ha- we have actually mentioned this on the podcast before, but you've got a conflict of two protected species yeah. which don't get on with one another. So I think there needs to be a much more honest discussion about uh, the, th- the threats to species like Capacale, and what do we really want to see? And does it mean maybe that we need to either move pine martens or actually kill them in an area, not across the entire country, but in an area which is a stronghold for Capacale? Or do we need to be spending yeah, more basically money Yeah, basically have an, an invisible border that we try and keep them I out. don't know. This is me just thinking yeah. off the top of my head, but something different or needs to be done. Or arm the Capacale. Or arm them, yeah. Uh, what the organizations who have been looking after them have achieved is very, very little with a huge amount of money. And I think some serious questions need to be asked about that. But when Patrick comes on, we're going to talk much, much more about it because he is well more versed in it uh, than I am. Uh, I will. Uh, go How many on. left you got? Uh, I have three left. Um, predator. Uh, well, this is kind of related, which is that um, uh, it's related to predator control on curlew conser- on a curlew conservation project in England and this was brought up by Richard uh, Benyon MP who was specifically looking at an area just south of Birmingham where there's only 300 breeding pairs left uh, generally speaking the population of curlew in this country has declined by about 46% in the last 25 years and what he was saying there was a little bit like I've just been talking about the cap Cayley, is that these conservation projects where there's a lot of public money being spent around the country which haven't been working are quite often the ones that haven't been using all the tools at their ha- uh, tools at their disposal of which one of the major ones is predator control now we all know that one of the highest densities you will find anywhere in the country for curlews is on a grouse moor where there is a lot of predator control which we have so much footage of Tons and tons. In fact, we're putting out a film, hopefully, if not the end of this year, very, very start of next year, and you will get to see all of that and a study that's being done up by us. And he said, and I quote, we have to do what works, not what is popular. And he was specifically talking about these projects that haven't been implementing it because the organizations don't want to be associated with killing other animals. And and he is basically um, put in place a system where there will no longer be public funding available for curlew conservation projects if they do not implement predator control as part of their plan. It's wasting money. It's, it is wasting that's money. That's it. What's the point? It's like you know trying to stop a, a wall of water, and, With you, your and you and you've been given the concrete and the dam, but you're like, I don't want to use the concrete. I'll just 
I'll put everything else in place. Yeah, it's it's just silly. So that's really refreshing to see that kind of approach and someone bold enough to say that and stand up in the House of Commons and say something that might not be popular. But he didn't actually, from what I could see, he didn't seem to get any flack for it. So um, I, my guess is he's probably a shooter. <laughs> because how else would he have that knowledge? Yeah, true. Or he, he certainly must care about the countryside at least. Uh, do you got one or two left? I've got one. Okay, That's perfect. It. There's not much to it really, other than the the fox hunting review is up now. It's on the uh, the government website. There isn't a huge amount of details. Basically, it's from the the Lord Bonamy review, uh, with to do with uh, mammals, and they want to see if the current laws that are in place to do with uh, fox hunting are adequate and are they working properly. That's basically what That's they what want to look at. Yeah. So go and go and look that up as more information comes out and we always encourage even if it's not something that you particularly partake in understand it because it has little knock-on effects to all parts of the countryside and the last thing that i'm going to talk about but very very briefly because our intention is that next week we're going to be recording an entire podcast on this to bring you either between christmas and new year or right at the start of january but actually probably sooner rather than later um is that the gwct have just put out advice on the shooting of woodcock this year. As we all know, woodcock are a game species. There are restrictions that apply to shooting them um, depending on the weather, when the weather is particularly bad here. Uh, But this year they have suggested that we should either not shoot them or uh, just reduce the amount that you would normally shoot. And that's because of the population dynamics that have come back into this country this year. And there's not a lot of juveniles being found in the sampling groups uh, that they've been testing. So the issue is, or the big question is, what has happened to those juveniles? And they think that some part of that is um, harsh springs and winters in Europe. Uh, So we're going to bring you way, way more on that and probably, like I say, an entire podcast. But read the info on the uh, Game Wildlife Conservation Trust website and i encourage you to if you don't know any better follow their advice and then at least you can't go wrong is that it that is it that's the last thing i had on my list oh well hang on there was just this this wasn't information this was just uh some recommendations we've mentioned the uh, nest district salmon fishery board facebook page before because there's a lot of great content on there chris has been who runs it has been on the podcast before but right now the salmon are sporting it's super cool yeah, and he's got loads of imagery and loads of video on there, and you'll be able to watch the salmon spawning. It's something that happens out of sight. So unless you're a fisherman and you yeah. have a sort of a vested interest in it, you probably don't even really realize that it's happening right now. It's a super exciting time of year in the in our rivers across the entire country. So go and check that out. I think we need to do, after the new year, once everyone's got a bit more cash again, uh, we need to do a little fundraiser for them, I think, to get one or two more GoPros because they're so active with their their imagery. And it actually does really help because these, all this stuff can be studied and looked at, the behavior of the fish, what's going on. And all their stuff has been donated by yeah. by the people working there or friends. Yeah. So maybe we should do a little fundraiser to just get one or two GoPros for them. Or if anyone listening to this gets an upgrade of your kit over Christmas and you end up with an old GoPro or something that you're no longer going to be using, maybe you, you can ping us a message and, and we, we can, can drop it, it off. Yeah, absolutely. We're up there all the time. Uh, and the last one was our friend Ulrik Orskov, who is a hunter from Denmark, does a lot of hunting in Norway. He has been putting a lot of videos up on his Facebook page, Orskov Hunting. 
go and check it out. You rarely have I seen anybody be so honest with their emotions with regard to their hunting. And this is a man who hunts with essentially a traditional recurve bow around the world. And it's all I, always refreshing. It always brings a smile to my face when I see his videos. I, I and we're having on him on at the podcast again at the start of next year. I think his channel should be called The Hunting Vet, though. The Hunting Vet, yeah, because he is a vet. Yeah. So go and listen to his podcast from probably, again, about a year ago. It was a really good podcast where he had just, well, not long come back from New Zealand. Once again, he's just spent, I don't know how long, in New Zealand hunting. I don't know how he fits it amongst his vet studies, uh, but he does. So we'll be having him on again January, February, and he'll be able to tell you all about it. So next on the show, you will be hearing from uh, us at Scott Country? Yes, you will. Uh, well, us at Scott Country? We weren't at Scott Country. We were with Scott Country <laughs> uh, International. Daryl was milling around the room, and we only uh, had three headsets yeah. with us, so you're going to be hearing from I me. I think we need to rectify that yeah. <laughs> We need to get another headset. Uh, me, Jake, and Paul, as I said at the start, and all about night vision and thermal, and why they put the event together. Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us on the Into the Wilderness podcast. Paul, thank you very much for the invite, for being here. And Jake, thank you for having us in your office, I guess, this this space is. We're at um, Basque HQ in Scotland. Paul, tell me a little bit about this event. Okay, so we um, did an event with Jake and um, Basque before at maybe House Hotel, which was great. And Jake suggested we do one further north. So we um, this was the best venue of all. So we had some really good ground nearby. Jake asked us to come up, bring some thermal, bring some night vision. We advertised it. Jake advertised it. We sent members and we opened it up to members and non-members. And it was just a case of bringing something a bit further north. And we do things below the border. We do things around the and Galloway. So this is just something a bit different, a bit further north. So uh, and what is it that you've been showing people? I mean, there's been a lot of people coming in the door here you've spent um about two hours tonight freezing your butt off outside yep. <laughs> uh what have you been showing people um people wanted to see thermal for the first time people who had never used thermal people wanted to know the difference between different models of thermal so what the xq means against the xp and what the xp means against the the older models. so these are like older and newer models yeah. and variations within that and what it offers so a lot of people had the older models which were, were still doing the job fine but they wanted to know what the the new models brought so thermals got cheaper um and there's more performance features came along so they really wanted to know what they were getting now that wasn't available three or four okay. years ago okay and, and are you finding that the, the pickup on a thermal and night vision is it has it's increased over time? Is that mainly because of affordability or knowledge of it? Um, affordability and knowledge, a bit of both, definitely. Yeah, affordability has got something big in there. Yeah. You know, people can now afford. You can buy a Yukon photon for three hundred and ninety nine pounds. That gives you. It's not a lot of money, is it? It's not. No, when you you think four or five, six years ago, um, a night vision rifle scope Gen One that would do seventy eighty meters was seven eight hundred pounds. You can now get something that will do a couple hundred meters for you know more than half that. Hmm. Uh, Jake, you're you're very much an old school guy when it comes to going out on a night after foxes or rabbits i know that you are a lamper and before you mention it the last <laughs> time we were lamping together yes i did miss a fox so i'll get that in there first before you bring it up but is this i mean you're having a chance to see it here because there's loads of kit here what do you make of it and how much things have changed over your career um lurking around in dark places after creepy crawlies First of all, I'll clarify that the fox was a 
pretty difficult shot. It's about, what, 30 metres? <laughs> 25? Oh, um, I still haven't got away with it. <laughs> never, never. Um, it no, was about 30 <laughs> It's uh, uh, It's really cool to have Scott Country and Paul here with us. Um, you know, they're really valued trade members of ours. Um, they can they can um, supply the kit and give the information that we can't give. Because mm-hmm. it's very technical, isn't it? It is technical. I, I don't understand, you know, the, the ins and outs of it, to be quite honest with you. I, I do prefer lamping. Um, it's just... I only prefer it because it's what I know. Um, but to have Paul and Scott Country here to um, to show us this kit, to explain it to us, and then obviously to um, all the shooters that are attending, um, it's, it's phenomenal. You know, the, the kit has moved on so much. I, I haven't had a lot to do with it, but you can see just from coming here, from kits that I've uh, you know, looked through two, three, four years ago to the standard of the of the kit tonight. It's just phenomenal. Mm, I have to, when we were, you're doing the, the demos outside, it has, it's probably been about 18 months since I've had any sort of thermal night vision in my hand because I've just been doing other things and I noticed a big difference. I'm picking up the latest stuff now compared to what I was using two years ago and it's it's clearer, it's crisper, there's more definition. I mean, just without, without uh, going into too much detail, what is... Uh, why is that, Paul? Obviously, it's technology, but it, I guess it, it's it's sensors. It's sensors, yep. Um, it's also people will be familiar with that with the cameras. I mean, yeah, that would absolutely. be the most relatable thing to people. So most people know HD and SD, so you have HD television and standard definition television. Thermal's not quite HD sensor capabilities at the moment, but the difference in clarity is what you're getting. So I think you used an old HD. You did the mountain hair project. Yep, yep, and yeah, that's right. HD. So the difference with that is you have a 25 micron sensor. Um, and now the new models are 17 micron sensor, so they now afford you with greater magnification. But when you're looking at the animal at 400 meters away, it's more detailed. So that fox that was a blob at 400 meters away, as it's now walking, is more definable as a fox. Okay, yeah. Um, so, so it's, it's safer in a way. It's, it's well with handheld, you'll still know it's a fox. Yeah, but, okay, handheld. But yeah. with with rifle scope, that's where it comes into rifle scope. You'll yeah. see further. You're able to define further. So mm-hmm. the new rifle scopes, you can now zoom in further with minimal pixelation, but you can make out a lot more detail at distance as well, which is yes, it's safer for 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 using for as a rifle scope. So what I mean, you've got, we've got you've got night vision and you've got thermal. That's the sort of the, the two things that we've really been looking at here tonight. What are applications are people using for uh, using them for within field sports? And then maybe just I'm sure you uh, there are people buying them outside of field sports as well from you. Absolutely, yeah, we sell thermal imaging from. We supply the police with thermal imaging. They use them for um, you know anti crime applications. Looking at hot um, roofs in, in the winter yeah. months. <laughs> absolutely, I had a conversation <laughs> with a police officer not long ago who said that when they moved from the Met in the Met, they used to have a helicopter that would go across and look mm. for. But well. Dumfries and Galway can't afford a helicopter, so they use handheld thermal imagers. So it's just as as adequate in terms of performance and being able to scan. You can see a building that's glowing. So I don't really know quite how they do it, and that, after that, whether they go knocking doors or not. But the, you know, <laughs> the, the technology is there. Probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the, the technology is there. So you know, we supply more and more deer stalkers now. Deer stalkers are more turning into thermal. Um, so you're using a thermal to glass across a large area. You've been able to pick up deer that you wouldn't know was there before. A lot of questions people ask about you know what's the ethics using thermal mm-hmm. for, for deer stalking. It's legal to use it for deer stalking during the day. Um, people use it every day for deer counts and deer surveys. So it's becoming a more effective tool and a cheaper tool. You can now buy a little handheld thermal imager for uh, tracking blood trails, for example. Mm-hmm. You can buy a handheld thermal imager for, for checking there's deer in cover and being able to find deer as well. But that was never available before. It was never affordable before. Yeah, it's it's, a, it's an interesting point. We won't dig into it too much here because we've done it. Uh, we will be doing it again. And we've done it on, po- on podcasts. Uh, Duncan Thomas from Basque actually was on a panel that we discussed the 
ethics and how we use this modern equipment, uh, be it night vision, but particularly thermal for stalking recreation and the difference between recreational stalking and managing populations. But the, the point that Paul brings up there for following up game, I think that's a really interesting application and something that I think we need to think about more, especially if you don't have a dog that can follow up a blood trail. I mean, you must have seen some of the small um, little handheld devices here, Jake, where you might be able to, if you, you might have not been able to find the deer at all, but certainly be able to find it quicker. I mean, what do you make of that application of some of these devices? Do you know what? The technology is there to be used and it should be embraced as well. And it, myself included, you know, it certainly piqued my interest tonight and I'm going to find out a, bit, a little bit more about it. Um, but yeah, for the safety side of things, you know, you, um, they're uh, absolutely invaluable for that. The humane side of things for you know, tracking wounded deer. Mm. For uh, you know, you showed me that bit of kit before. Just a little handheld. Uh, Was it the seek? What's the little seek? Reveal? Little seek. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that that'll fit in a pouch. It'll fit in a pocket. It's no weight at all. Um, and that'll mean that could mean the difference between actually finding a deer that's wounded and not. And, mm. You know, for for the humane factor, um, that can't be replaced. A lot of people use dogs. A lot of people will continue to use dogs. A great asset. But and I don't know. think you'll ever be able to replace a dog no. in a way because and a dog does more than just find the, the trail. But yeah. if you not everybody can have a dog. Yeah, absolutely right. And yeah. you know this 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 isn't to replace dogs, like you say, but just a handy bit of kit for your pocket. Um, and you can see straight away there's a blood trail. It's fresh blood trail. You know there's warmth there. It's I haven't seen that before. I'm really impressed. Mm. There. How much are those little um, six hundred and nine pounds? And what what kind of range will you pick up heat from, Paul? Picking, picking up and defining heat's quite a different. But just so just picking up. I mean, if we're I talking about here for following up, like you know, you're looking for a deer in some long yeah. grass, and you're just looking for a heat you signature. Pick up a, a deer heat signature a couple hundred meters away. Oh, so it's that far. Mm -hmm. You yeah. just won't be able to define it that no, well. No, you define it. The man size detection range is in excess of three, four hundred meters, but that's a blob at distance. Yeah, so okay. You'd probably pick up a blob, you know. But enough feet. to go and I need to investigate. Yeah, there's something that. there that's a heat source you need to go investigate. It'll never give you the same definition as a quantum light or a helium, but for a deer stalker who just wants to find there's something there, of course, that's maybe all they need. Mm. Uh, Jake, do you find that uh, you ha your members are asking more questions about the legalities of, of using thermal and, and night vision? It must be coming up more, I guess. It does come up more. Um, I mean, with the likes of Scott Country, um, you know, they do tend to be really good at putting the information out there. So it's it's absolutely findable on the internet. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, for people who aren't perhaps quite internet savvy, we'll get a few calls into the office. Generally, I might not deal with them because yeah. I... I probably don't know enough about them um, but certainly you know one of our departments would be happy to help more mm -hmm. than happy to help what do you think just on the, the sort of uh, the, the safety aspect of using the using the technology generally using it at night it's dark you, it's, you have to you always have to be careful when it comes to, to firearms <coughs> and guns in general but there's this heightened level of being careful at night because things are dark when you're even when you're out lamping what do you what would you say to people who want to start using this technology about actually starting to embrace it especially if you come off a decade of lamping yeah no, which, well, which is <laughs> which is, you which is absolutely more. true in my yeah. case yeah um i think it's a case of knowing your ground knowing the technology knowing your ground making sure you know you've got things like uh, you're not necessarily going to be using the night vision to shoot with but if you're spotting with it then you're going to be looking for safe backstops mm -hmm. it's probably yeah you know some of this equipment you might be able to see you know, reasonably well with. Some you might not. So it's a case of knowing your ground, knowing the capabilities of you, knowing the capabilities of uh, of the equipment that you're using as well, being familiar with it. Um, and if there's any doubt, obviously just don't pull the trigger. Yeah, uh, and that, 
that rings true day or night and whatever technology you're using whether it's old-fashioned glass yeah. in a tube yeah or, or something slightly fancier i think people need to keep that very mm -hmm. very firmly in their mind that mm -hmm. if you can't make out what it is that you're pulling the trigger on then you shouldn't even be contemplating pulling the trigger absolutely yeah, yeah. And, and you know i know we've talked about we've talked about the humane side of things and the safety side of things but the conservational side of things as well you know the deer counts um we're, we're embracing a lot more technology now with helicopters doing deer counts and things like that the this, again, could be an absolute and valuable mm. bit of kit just to, to assist with the sort of management plan or the production of a management plan. Yeah, um, yeah we're certainly, uh, it's slightly different, but we're, we're doing some uh, conservation-based work for, for an organization, and that's to do with uh, thermal from the air, from aerial, and that's for, for habitats and populations of games. So that all, and that's on a shooting estate, so it all very much ties into, you know, the, these kind of conversations and, and using it for... The monitoring of game and species is, I think, something we're going to increasingly see. And part of that is because it's become so affordable, I suppose. There's a couple of manufacturers brought out thermal cameras for your fancy drone. Yes, that you yes, use I well. believe so that. We're going to be playing with yeah, that very yeah, soon, very yeah, soon. That's pretty cool. Of all the kit that you've had here today, Paul, and I've kind of lost track of the, the number of things that have been lying on the table and that you've shown people, is there like two or three that you can pick out as sort of stand out, go and check these out because they've kind of changed the game? They have. Um, there's one product in particular which has been out of stock for months and months because it's been very, very popular across the globe, and that's the new Apex. Now, the Apex was a thermal scope a few years ago, and they've now brought it back now with a laser rangefinder built in. This is from Pulsar? Pulsar, yeah. Yes, so okay. I remember Apex, playing so. with the yeah. early one. Yeah. So, um, at maybe Hotel, we took a, a few guys along there who had previous Apexes, and they picked up the new Trail XP, which is the 640 sensor, and they picked up the Apex, and they all said, why is the trail a thousand pounds more expensive than the Apex? The Apex looks better. Okay. And tonight it was interesting. I gave the the Trail XP and the Apex um, to a couple of people who have thermal devices. I said, which one do you prefer? And they all picked the Apex, which is really strange considering the trail's on paper better. Mm -hmm. So the Apex has a greater native magnification than the Trail XP50, but the Trail XP50 has the 640 sensor, so it gives you a bit more detail at distance. But everyone loved the Apex out of them all. So I would say the Apex LRF, definitely the Standing hot potato out. here. Yeah, everyone loved to play with that. And, they and they've been out of stock. They have. They've just come into stock a couple of weeks ago, and yeah, they're selling it really quickly. But so if you want it before Christmas, you're gonna have to hurry up. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else? Yeah. In terms of handheld, the Quantum Light, the Quantum, as everyone knows, as you you before they were two thousand six hundred up to three thousand pounds. Well, the new Quantum Light is out now. We're using the same body shell and same sensors as the previous Quantum, but it's using a cheaper lens element. So instead of the germanium, they have a mixed element lens. Brought the price right down to just under thirteen hundred pounds. Oh wow. But performance is much the same as the one you used, which okay. was two and a half grand. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was we. we you, you mentioned it earlier, but we used that as part of a filming project. Uh, we weren't counting hairs, but we just wanted to show the number of hairs on the hill. And we yep. were, uh, we might actually be doing something in the future that's to do with counting hairs. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that technology's changed. But £1,300 for thermal. Yeah. I only have to think back like five years ago and you were talking like £10,000, £15,000. This is a 900 metres man-sized detection oh, range. It's just yeah. crazy, isn't it? Yes. Well, where's it going to go? I mean, it's, I know that's an impossible question, but you've, more than anyone else, you've seen like the intricate detail of how the evolution of it over the last couple of years. I mean, where are we going to end up? I think in terms of the military and police aspect, <coughs> fusion is the next thing, I would say, which we saw, we were at a, a government event in Paris recently, and we saw the first commercial available fusion device, which is night vision and thermal. So you have your, your 
quality of image via night vision, but you have the thermal overlay. So, oh, wow. you know, a, a, for a police aspect, someone hiding in cover, you can see detail, you can d identify them, but you can also see if they're hiding in bushes as well. I don't think it will come down quite soon to the, the, the shooter's pocket, but it's pretty impressive. What do you reckon, Jake? Scope to take it up with that. It's got me confused already. <laughs> Just a lamp, I'll wait for the, I'll wait for dark and wait for it to come out. <laughs> uh, guys, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, once again, thank you for the invite. It's been fascinating. I've actually, it's kind of rekindled my, the interest that I did have two years ago for this kind of technology. And it is, you know, as I've said, it's amazing how far it's come. And uh, I always, whenever somebody asks me about it and I don't have the answer, which for recently I haven't when it comes to night vision or thermal, it is always, uh, you probably take quite a, a number of phone calls. Byron said that you're <laughs> the people to speak to, and it, it, it's true. So it's always you, welcome. If, uh, if, if you, anybody who's listening to this has questions about it, give Scott Country a call. Pretty much anybody in, there, in the office there will be able to, to help you out. We've got a few guys on our Facebook page as well, our pro staff now who man our Facebook page oh, outside okay. office hours, which is facebook.com forward slash Scott Country. Any questions you've got on there, these are guys using it out in the field every single day. So pop a question on the Facebook page, one of our pro staff will be happy to answer it. And they cover all aspects from foxing to vermin control to um, deer stalking. So we've got a good and base of knowledgeable the people there should people want questions. And we're always there 24-7, you can always ping a message across. Brilliant. And uh, Jake, if people want to, to, to speak to the organisation, to speak to Basque, how do, they, how do they get hold of you guys? I mean, Google us. Google us, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but um, the Scottish office. Scottish office and Basque Scotland um, website or Facebook page drop us a, a text or just give the office a call usually there's somebody here to pick up the phone if not leave a message and, and uh, we'll Someone get back, back to you as they say perfect Don Donald Muir might not be here for a little while because he's just borrowed one of the thermals so <laughs> he, might not, he might not be in the office I, know, I, I noticed him disappearing and scampering out, out, out we've lost door. him sorry I've got, I've got GPS on him oh well, that's okay. <laughs> gents thank you very much thank you thank you and that's it for another two weeks. We really hope you have a great Christmas and you'll hear from us again between Christmas and New Year. And we're probably going to be have a pre-recorded show because we don't want to be doing this between Christmas and New Year. Uh, and we'll record that show probably next week. And we're not entirely sure who is going to be on it because we're doing a number of shows next week. Yes, we're filling our boots with recording podcasts the week before Christmas. Uh, I hope everybody has a fantastic Christmas Day and importantly, a fantastic Boxing Day because we are going to be shooting on Boxing Day and I imagine that most people who listen to this podcast will either be hunting uh, or will be doing... Recovering. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, hun hunting, recovering or shooting of some sort. But whatever you're doing, stay safe and we'll speak to you again. I, I was I was going to mention, actually, because we had a little bit of a problem with the, the show going out uh, last oh, on Monday, Tuesday, there was a problem with uh, the feed. Lots of technical stuff, coding. Uh, it took me a morning. But the bottom line is the show didn't go out when it was meant to. It went out the day after. And it's all up and running now. So there's a few extra places that the show is now on that I've made it even easier for people to listen to. And you might want to switch um, apps because there's better apps than other. So iTunes, if you've got an Apple device, this is the best platform to get it on as iTunes on an Apple device. For everyone else, uh, we're now on Acast, we're on Podbean, Overcast, and for everyone, we're now on Spotify. We had a message about six months ago with someone going, Can you, are you guys going to be on Spotify? Uh, at the time, no, and it was actually it's a, a real mission to get on Spotify, but now we're on it. So it, Spotify is free. Uh, Byron actually has the free version of Spotify. Yeah, I you use it get, all the time. You just get a few free um, adverts now and then. Every half an hour or something. Yeah. I have the paid version and 
I love it. Um, Spotify is really good. We're also on SoundCloud as well. Also, we're now on YouTube. We're not now on it. We've been on for ages. We're on YouTube, and we're now getting the shows uploaded to Facebook, uh, just the audio version. So I, There's no excuse. I actually it. don't think we can be on any more places than what we are. Uh, we really appreciate everyone listening throughout the year from all over the globe we honestly thank you to all of our listeners from the united states because next to uh, the uk our next uh, biggest listenership is from the united states then australia then australia new zealand and then we have uh, quite a few listeners in norway sweden uh, and we all over the place we really do have listeners all every corner of the globe south africa south korea japan uh, i think i had a couple from egypt the other day as well yeah uh, the point is is that this is now, it's very much global and we appreciate everyone listening. And every month we get more new listeners and we get some amazing emails and messages. Once a week we get a message at least from people, sometimes more. Uh, big long emails and we do read them and we do reply to them. So if you ever want to message us about anything, we greatly appreciate it. And we love to hear what walks of life everyone comes from. We've got everything from airline pilots to... Um, digger drivers digger drivers yeah, yeah. L- literally every every walk of life listens to this show and takes something from it so we think it's it's awesome and that's why we do the show if we if we didn't hear from you guys then we wouldn't know anyone, we was, wouldn't listening. Know anyone was listening <laughs> other than the stats that we can see so it's really great to get feedback from everyone and yeah thank you <laughs> have a great Christmas everyone Santa baby hurry down the chimney tonight Santa baby, a 54 convertible to life.